I was just thinking about dryness and being dry. Uh, we left our son, who's not here at the service, he's 18 years old, <clears throat> in charge of the home for a week. Some of our plants died. <laughs> it's just a perfect spiritual metaphor there, you know, a lack of watering in this kind of climate. And they may come back, there may be life there yet. So, good morning, everybody. My name is Grant, and I'm pastor here at New Song Church, and it's really wonderful to see everyone's smiley, happy faces. Um, now that the heat wave is finally over for the year, right? <clears throat> Into this mild climate now. <clears throat> Which one? It's not that bad, it's great. Um, <clears throat> until next week. That's good. Yeah, so we were, uh, all of the summer we are in a series called All Things New, and uh, I was not here last Sunday, but we closed up the series, as we're doing with every series we do, we want to hear from people um, <clears throat> about what, what they experienced throughout that time, and, and how what we said here may have connected with life out there, because that's the whole point. If it's just a nice talk, and we leave thinking, well, that was nice, you know, and then, and then we go and kind of forget about it, then that's not really the point. The point is that we are to be changed, and therefore the space that we occupy in the world is, is transformed, and, and what we bring into the world is different than what it was a week before, a month before, a year before. Um, and I just want to say a huge thanks to Aaron Salenbach, Keith Buck, and Jan Peters for their heartfelt and beautiful testimonies that I listened to online, and it really moved me, the things that you guys said. Um, and I want to say thank you to Melody, if she's here this morning, uh, for, for kind of leading that whole time and the things that she shared. I want to say another couple of thanks. Thanks to Lexi, who is not here now, but the young lady who is here leading us in that song. Um, you know, it's not easy being young. There's kind of like times in life, and I think the middle time in life, which I'm somewhat in right now, in some ways is more stable. There's kind of times on the end and times when you're younger that are not stable at all. They're, it's really difficult. I can sort of still remember what it's like to be a teenager. It's a hard, hard time. And there's an authenticity about someone that age singing a song, you know, that you make me brave, right? That we can all uh, do with, with capturing, and I'm just grateful to her. Also grateful to John, who's doing sound this morning for the very first time. Thank you, John. Like, this is what it's about. Um, it's about serving one another and serving our community, so... Just great to see people stepping up. So we are uh, beginning a new series this morning in Philippians. And perhaps some of you have read it before. I'm not going to assume that everyone has, but uh, many of you probably has. I mentioned a few that we're doing Philippians. A lot of people came and said, it's my favorite book of the Bible. And for various reasons. And it probably is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, one reason being that when I was in seminary, I, we, st we studied this book in intently for a whole uh, quarter um, and I just really fell in love with what Paul writes in this, this book. And, and many of us are probably familiar with verses that appear in Philippians. Um, maybe in your Bible or on your online pad, you've highlighted or underlined certain verses. Because there's some pretty powerful words in this. And a lot of them end up now on t-shirts and uh, mugs, coffee cups, calendars, daily planners, right? Which is not bad, you know, I was, I was feeling, you know, at first I was thinking about this, I thought it's kind of cyn be cynical about that. But no, it's, it's actually, there's a reason why these things... Uh, appear in our culture because they actually pack quite a punch like Psalm 23. There's a reason why regardless of a, a person's, you know, uh, religiosity, often that is read at funerals because it's so comforting. It's powerful. 
So some of the ones in Philippians you might know is, uh, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hang gliding. Um, See, here's the thing. We can take these things out of context and make them say things that they're never meant to say. Um, Correct? So it's something important to think about. Uh, we, We often like detach verses that we like from from where they are originally situated. And it's important, especially in a book like this, to understand what it is that we're reading. And in Philippians, we're actually reading a letter. It is a, a letter that was written just like a letter would be. There wasn't a whole lot, I don't think, of planning or editing going into this. Probably the person who wrote this, who we believe is Paul, dictated it to somebody else who actually wrote this stuff down. And then it was sent uh, to some recipients. And, and it was sent to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi, which is on the map up there, then Paul had visited there on his travels, sharing the good news about Christ, uh, and faced some real trouble there. When we were in Acts, we actually went uh, to Philippi in our journey there, in Acts 16, I believe it was, um, and saw Paul uh, come there. Actually, the very first person who became interested in the good news about Jesus was a woman named Lydia, uh, who was meeting at a place of prayer. It doesn't seem like it was a synagogue in that town, It's a very Gentile place, part of the Roman Empire. And she came and she invited Paul and his companions to stay at her home. And that's what kind of birthed the church. Girl power. Right? Um, But Paul, we don't really know how long he stayed there the first time, but at some point he angered some people because it was a slave girl who was making money for her owners by, she had some kind of demon possession going on and she was predicting the future. And, And Paul cast this demon out And of course, their owners were very upset they'd lost their income. So Paul and Silas, his friend, were arrested, thrown into jail, um, and they were singing praises to God in jail. It was amazing uh, to be in that situation. Those kind of jails were not not very nice places to be. They were miraculously uh, rescued from jail, and then the jailer and his family came to faith, so more people for the church. So this is a very young, relatively young church in in a non-Jewish Gentile town. Uh, that Paul has visited, visited actually a couple of times over the period of time once he had first left. It seems like he returned there. So what can we say about this letter? This is clearly a letter to set the scene. What can we say about Philippians? Does anyone think of a word that, when people talk about Philippians, you guys have been in a church for a while, is there a word that people use a lot when they talk about this book? Anyone? Okay, awesome, we're all on the same page, good. <laughs> Okay, the word is joy. Now you're like, oh yeah, joy. It is, it is repeated throughout this whole book, joy, joy, joy. It's, a, it's more than any other letter that Paul wrote. This is the quality of this letter, which is quite remarkable. When We'll start to get into what the circumstances, the context was, that this would be a letter of joy. It's also a letter of thanksgiving. Apparently, the Philippians have sent some kind of financial gift to Paul, and he's writing to thank them for that. But his joy is, is a clear and prominent theme in this book. Who wants some joy in their life? You know, for some of us, it may have been a long time since we experienced that feeling of joy. You know, I think um, that sometimes, you know, at times when I've laughed, I find myself laughing and I feel so joyful. And I suddenly realize it's been a long time since I felt my, these mus- particular muscles in my face being exercised. You know, it aches. 
they're underused. And, and I, I find like, you know, I've had this face for a long time, you know? Joy is a wonderful thing. What do you think of when you think about the word joy? Can you remember the last time you felt what you would call joy? I know like the birth of a child or a grandchild, some of you are having that. We have a baby dedication coming up in a few weeks. It's definitely a moment of joy. Um, I don't know about you, but I find that joy for me is so very often tied to my circumstances. Like what is happening in my life? I could probably make a graph and correlate. I actually was going to do that, but I don't know math very well. I thought math people go like, that doesn't make sense, that graph he did. did. (laughs) But if I could somehow graph it, it would probably correspond very closely if I charted the circumstances of my life and the appearance of joy in my life. Unfortunately, I think they would be pretty close uh, to each other. And even more troubling, if I'm honest, uh, my capacity for wanting more and better in my life is pretty much insatiable. I want better, I want more. And I think joy can become kind of like a drug that over time uh, becomes less and less effective uh, and it requires greater and better circumstances for it to actually show up in my life. You know, if things are at a plateau or even descending, it's not going to happen. And, um, and I think about little kids. Thinking about joy makes me think of little kids, like a picture like this. Like, their expectations are so small of life. Uh, they're the most joyful human beings around. If, if you guys know me at all, I, like, love little kids, and I think this is part of it. They're so joyful. Uh, and the, the world is yet to grow predictable or stale to them. They can still find joy in seeing a butterfly or splashing in water. Like, we need joy, and I think little kids kind of show us what life kind of should be like. And there's a reason Jesus said, be like little children. The kingdom of God is about this. But I think we just lose it. We can lose it. We just get so caught up in the circumstances of life that we find ourselves forgetting the last time we ever felt such a thing. And that's why it's so amazing to be around kids because you're like, I've got to borrow some of this little kid's energy and joy because I'm feeling kind of dried out and dead here. Scripture tells us that our joy is our strength. That joy is our strength. And that sounds like something we should pursue. And, and, and more than that, if we, are, if we really believe we're on a mission to show the world how unique, how desirable, how perfectly suited for all of life Jesus is, then surely our joy will be one of the greatest proofs of this truth, of this reliability And I think often in churches, we are a pretty joyless bunch, like the rest of the world. You know, I go around and I'm a pretty friendly person and I see people's faces almost like cracking the plaster of Paris when I say something nice to them. It's like, I'm like, you know, you ever do that? You walk around and you go, why does everyone look so miserable? Um, I don't want that for myself. Well, Philippians points us to both the... uh, possibility, indeed, the the attainability of joy. It says this can be the quality of your life. And what makes the power of this message all the more compelling is the circumstances of these people in their day. And after studying something about Philippi, it's actually not that much different in many ways from our place, from LA. Got a couple of pictures side by side. Doesn't look quite the same. Maybe LA looked like that once. There's Hollywood Hills before they put the sign on it, right? On the left, I should have stuck a Philippi. Second service, we'll do that. Philippi in the Hollywood sign. There's never enough time to get all the things done you want to do. 
But in many ways, it was very much like our world, very wealthy, lots of distractions and entertainments. This place was just a mecca for, just for, for good things that you could do. It was very culturally diverse. It definitely considered itself to be advanced and elevated. Um, in many ways, it was kind of a jewel of the Roman Empire, successful. It was essentially a pagan place. They did have a religion, but it was of a pagan sort, pagan variety, uh, about the gods of pleasure and power and convenience, superstition. And it was ruled by reciprocity. We used that word before, and patronage. It's basically, there's nothing for free. Everything you do that in some way charitable earns you favor with somebody else. And the goal is to try and get those who have more power than you in your debt, that you can therefore move forward in society. Sounds a little bit like Los Angeles or Southern California to me. And I think it's a recipe for joylessness, this kind of world. Worse still, there was some serious stuff happening for the Christians in Philippi because of a very specific reason. Uh, there was persecution just like kind of rumbling at the edges. There were starting to be some real repercussions. And the main reason was that Philippi was a very, very special place in Roman, the Roman Empire. <clears throat> it had been granted citizenship to all, sorry, uh, citizenship in Rome to all the people who lived in Philippi because they had been so uh, faithful to the emperor in certain battles that had taken place. And at that time, the emperor was considered to be a god among the gods. In fact, his name, literally, that you were to call him was Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. And it's, it's no mistake that the Christians of that time used the word Lord and the word Savior to describe Jesus. And it's exactly the same words that were used for the emperor. So the Christians were able to kind of be part of their world, but in this one point, they could not do it. And in a city that favored the empire so powerfully and the emperor so uh, immensely and was so grateful to him, it was starting to cause problems for the Christians. So it's a complex situation that this letter is coming into. Like our world, life's complicated, isn't it? I mean, sometimes I think a lot, and sometimes I think myself into complexity, and it really messes with my ability to feel joyful because there's too many angles, there's too many possibilities, there's too many what-ifs. Um, and what I love about Paul, even though he's a man of great intellect, this is a smart guy writing this letter. Great education, but he keeps it simple. And I need that, and I love that, and he calls me to simplicity. Joy derives from simplicity. I think complexity can kill joy. So, three more things about before we get into the first part of this section. We're only doing two verses today, so we should be out of here by three or so. Um, um, I would encourage you guys to read through Philippians. It's a letter, and it, it really needs to be read as a letter, preferably in Greek, to really get the original essence of it. No, any English translation that you, that you prefer, read it through a few times. Over the next 10 weeks, if we're gonna be in Philippians, read it through. And certain things will just start to arise out of this book for you. These are also very important to know uh, as we're thinking of this as a letter from a person to a community. The first is that Paul, you know, who writes the letter is important. 
for the content. It's important to know who the person is that's writing, what his relationship is like with the people he's writing to. And the first thing is for Paul, he loves these people so deeply. He's not gonna spin them a fairy tale. Like he is authentically, deeply engaged with these people. He wants the best for them. And there's some, there's some scriptures, uh, some parts through we'll get to as we go through the weeks. I thank my God every time I remember you. I have you in my heart, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He loves these people. This letter is sent from a man who loves the people who will be reading it. The second thing is, um, it's something that's very easy to give advice to someone in a bad situation when you yourself are nowhere in any kind of bad situation at all. But there's something really powerful when a person tells you about some way to overcome your circumstances and they're in the same boat as you are. Paul is this person. He is himself in extreme difficulty. When he went to Philippi, he was arrested, managed to get out that time. He's again now in jail, he's in chains. I'm in chains for Christ, he says. So he's speaking from this place of suffering to people who are currently undergoing suffering. There's something very powerful about that. And the last thing that that will will come out as you read this, this book is that his testimony of what he's saying is also backed up by the fact that they know him. They know Paul. They have seen him live. They've seen him act. You know, if you get a letter from somebody you do not know, I get all the time in the church office, I get mails, mailings saying, this is the uh, revolutionary way to increase giving tenfold in your church. There's a lot of those ones, by the way. And it comes at a cost. Um, I don't know any of these people. I don't know any of them. But when you have someone who writes to you and you know them, you've seen their life, the quality of their life, the way they live, the way they deal with situations, it's going to have a different power for you. And this is Paul as he writes in. So we're going to get into Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 after that brief preamble. Um, So if you have a Bible, go there. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. Or if you have your holy digital device, whatever you call it. Feel free to go there too. I'm just going to look at the first two verses. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the witness of people through history who have testified to how good you are. Um, And they have found in you solid, solid ground and a foundation for living, no matter what our circumstances are. Uh, Lord, speak to us, we pray, uh, through your word. Encourage us, point us, um, recalibrate us in the right direction, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's a very short little greeting. Two verses, it's easy to skip over this, you know? I think that happens a lot. You read a letter and you go like, blah, blah, blah. Let's get to the, the next parts, right? Um, people who've written about this and people understand the culture of that time and the way people wrote tell us that Paul was writing this letter very much conformity to the rules of the day that were actually taught in how to write letters. Does anyone remember that at school? Do you get taught how to write letters in school? Does anyone do that anymore? I don't know if they do. Like, where do you put the address? Your address, their address. 
Like, when do you use yours sincerely or yours faithfully? Remember, remember that rule? Anyone, know, anyone want to tell us what it is? When do you use yours sincerely or yours faithfully? Yeah, that's what I learned too. I still do it. How much do I like this person? Uh, sincerely. <laughs> or, you know, oh, I really want something from this person faithfully. Um, but Paul did that. To some degree, he's observing the rules of letter writing of his day, but there's nothing typical or conventional about what he's saying here, so we shouldn't skip this over because he's packing tons of stuff into this and it's setting up the whole rest of the letter. Who here likes jazz? <clears throat> I love jazz. I don't understand it at all, but I love it. It does things to my heart, my mind, my ears, my feet sometimes, you know? Uh, jazz is all about like you learn the conventions and the rules and you break every single one of them, right? <clears throat> That's jazz, man. You get so good at playing, you understand your instrument so well that you can go anywhere, anytime, and you will leave the beat for a short time, come back to it. It's that tension that makes it sound so compelling to those of us who like it. Paul's doing that. He's playing jazz with letter writing. Um, so there's nothing conventional about what he's saying, even though he's following to some degree the conventions of the day, and it lays the foundation for everything. He starts with his introduction, Paul and Timothy. And these names, immediately... Maybe not for us, but for these people would, would conjure up the people themselves. This is about interaction, relationship, people with people. You've got to understand that. Every single word of the New Testament, everything that God is doing is about people with people in community with one another and in communion with God together, or it's about nothing. There's no individualism in this faith. There are some spiritual practice, and there's times for us all to get away by ourselves, but this is not the tone of Christianity. It's to be together. Just discipleship. Discipleship. Jesus uh, chose 12 men, and then a whole bunch of other people, men and women alike, who traveled with him, and they watched him, and they listened to him, and they learned the way of life from being with him. You cannot learn Christianity from a YouTube video or a book such as this one. Uh, it, the eye-catching part for me was the dummies part. I was like, dude, that's a book I can, I can get into. But really, it's about people with people. That's the first thing. Paul and Timothy, even just those words in a situation of difficulty, we'd go like, I remember Paul and Timothy. They stood for Christ and they went to jail. <laughs> they, they, they do, they're doing this thing. So even that very first word could give some sense of confidence to go, joy, Paul and Timothy are writing to us. They're still alive, they're okay, they're in partnership with us. Um, it's amazing how these relationships can, can last. Uh, Rona and I just did a little whirlwind trip to Washington State <clears throat> just the past week. That's why I was not here. It was a crazy plan we dreamed up with this couple down here, uh, Linda and Peter Tridy, and we did travel with them together. Here's a picture of us outside Seattle's finest Irish pub. Shepherd's pie in Guinness. Um, but it was amazing thinking about that trip and going and being with people that, that Ron and I uh, were with for years and years and years. Like we'd worship beside them, labor together, like fighting for the well-being of our neighbors, praying together, raising our hands in worship together, 
misunderstanding each other and being misunderstood. Um, just going and seeing those people again was so good for us. Um, and the connections are still so strong. When you do life with other people, it is so nourishing. I still remember to this day, and some of these people I saw, what effect they had on my life. The real change that happened because I spent time with certain people who we went and saw again. And it all came back to me. And it was joyful. I, I realized that was actually the point when I was laughing and my face hurt. And I was like, I haven't done this for a little while. Was being with these people again. And, and since we've been back, I've had some texts from people saying that was so good. And people sharing like what it meant to see us up there again. And, and that's what we're trying to do here. Like I was on Orcas Island for like almost 10 years. Prior to that, I was in a church for four or five years. Um, after Orcas Island, we're four or five years again while I went through school at church. And all of these relationships are deep because we pressed in, we showed up, we sought to participate and didn't let the busyness of work get in the way of this. This is what it's all about. For Paul and Timothy to be with these people was, was really what, it was the, uh, a place of joy to start with. You know, so I, um, I know some of the greatest joys I've ever had in my life got nothing to do with achievement or circumstances. It's had to do with just having this connection with someone over some food, just laughing, realizing we're just as dumb as each other, whatever. And that's, that's the essential thing we've got to understand, that when we shy away from community, for whatever reason, we're immediately turning down the joy button. I was going to talk spinal tap, man. The joy button, by the way, goes to 11 with Jesus. <laughs> Why don't you just make 10 louder? No, ours go to 11. But think about it like that. Like, to the degree that you step out of community is the degree, according to this, that you will diminish the possibility and the presence of joy in your life. So I, I'd encourage us to just get stuck in with each other. I've been hiking with Karen Turner and the gang. And it is such a laugh, it's hilarious. I don't even realize that I'm sweating all my moisture out of my body and my, my limbs are screaming with pain because they're so fun to be with. You know, every Wednesday at one o'clock, Rona and I get together with about six or seven or so uh, wonderful people at Charter Oak next door, and we sing, every single time we sing, I'll fly away, an amazing grace, and we sing and we go through the Psalms together. It's, I tell them, it's like one of my favorite times of the entire week, is that little moment with people, and we are developing joyful relationships around there. Uh, if you wanna come, one o'clock, Wednesday afternoon, Charter Oak, come have some joy with us. Um, you know, I think if we think we can go it alone, I think it tells us something that we don't understand the degree to which we're meant to be engaging with life. Because if we're really engaging at the level that Jesus calls to engage, you're gonna need other people around you. Because I tell you, it's dangerous out there. It, we have treacherousness in us. There's power in this world that wants to diminish us, send us to sleep, shut us up, uh, just uh, discourage us. And we can settle for just an easy relationship with, with culture and with the world, whatever gets you through the day. Or you can try and numb it with whatever brings you joy that you think does and eventually will take all your joy away. I think you know what I'm talking about there, right? I want to share an illustration. It's actually a story from our trip to Washington that Peter doesn't know I'm going to tell. <laughs> and this is a story I call Peter and the Bear. And it's not 
and it's not, so don't show that slide because I want to make sure everyone's cool with it first. Um, so that sounds worse than it is. But it might be worse than you think it is. So we went to Twist. We stayed in a friend of mine, his cabin up there, and it's in a pretty remote area. And we've been told that there had been some sightings of bears around. So, but Peter's a total intrepid dude, right? And so Peter went out with his, it was raining, and he took off down this canyon trail to go find the river. And uh, he was gone for a little while, and then he came back up, and I was like, how's the river? And he said, well, I didn't go too much further than a particular spot, because I saw some evidence that I think is bare, okay? And so, um, do you want to see the picture of the evidence or not? Just, <laughs> does anyone want to see it? Okay, so close your eyes, you don't want to see bear poo. Okay, show the slide. So there was several piles of this, full of berries. And I since checked online, and yep, that's kind of what it looks like. So Peter wisely turned around and came back again, and then persuaded me to go with him to the river later on. And we found more evidence. We found these overturned rocks and things. The bears have been rubbing around for bugs and stuff, right? But we made it to the river. Picture, yeah. Is there a picture of the river? Yay! There's Peter at the river. We made it safely there and back, and the only scary thing we saw was wild turkeys, and they're not that scary. But, you know, I was just thinking, um, like, often we just go into the world alone, single-mindedly, singly, doing our thing. We don't understand, and as a believer, we don't understand how wrong that is for life, that we've got to have other people with us. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Scripture says your enemy, the devil, prowls around, roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And devour is not necessarily some violent act. It's generally more of a just go to sleep, switch off, just get involved in just the basic status quo of whatever this culture says, to achieve more, to gain more possessions, to set yourself up for retirement. You may not be able to enjoy, you don't know if you're gonna be able to enjoy it, but life is now, right now, and it's best done together with others. Amen? <clears throat> so get involved. Some things we can do, small groups are starting this week. I just say, go do it. Like, I don't know if you have a good reason not to be in a small group. I've had plenty of good reasons <laughs> to not be in a small group. Uh, and if I shared them with you right now, you'd probably be like, <laughs> that's not a good reason. <laughs> right? But I know it. I know it. But I tell you, there is resistance in this world from you getting with other believers, taking some sacrificial time in your life, whatever that might be. I mean, it's just so funny. There's so many things that we carve out fastidiously and we'll never miss it. There are other things that we just always neglect and being with other people is, is a big one. Prayer is another one. And I think that should tell us something, you know, that resistance to this. Often the things I find that I find myself in my, in my flesh resisting is the very thing I need to step into. The times when I didn't feel like going to church were the very times when God taught me something or showed me something that I so needed to hear. And I was so glad I just fought past that resistance and said, I'm going. This is important. If you're a young adult between the ages of 18 and 30, come on Monday nights. Come and get together with other people. We feed you, um, and then we just hang out, do some worship, and get to know each other. It will help you, I promise. High school, middle school ministries. Did we lose our picture? Whoa, yeah, look at that. The pause. Disco, turn the other lights down. It's a strobe. 
Tyler, get up here and play a... Oh, no, the timer went to zero. <laughs> Serve. S-E-R-V-E. I should come up with something really catchy. With S stands for this, E stands for this. Uh, I think the whole thing stands for joy. Serve equals joy. We were made to serve one another. We were made to use what we have been given to bring it into other people's lives. That's what we are made for. We sometimes wonder why we don't have joy. I think it's because we avoid the very things that God built into us to bring us that joy. You may have heard C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. It's the story of his life. And the thing he realized, he'd had these moments of joy and every time it's like something in the corner of your eye, he tried to look at it and grab it, it would go away. And he said that joy is a byproduct of a, of a life lived well, according to how we were made to live. If you pursue joy, you will never find it. If you try and catch that thing itself, it is a byproduct of living a human life the way we were called to live it. Um, you know, our digi digitally connected world gives us illusion of connection, doesn't it? That we think we're connected. But it's shallow. It takes a while, though, to dig in. You know how sometimes you sat with someone for like an hour and a half, and finally, as it draws time to leave, the real conversation starts. It takes time. We have to persist with it. Second thing he says is uh, that they're servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Uh, more accurately, slaves of Christ. The word literally means slave. He's saying that we're under new ownership we, the people that you have seen our quality of life, are slaves of Christ. This, nothing else matters. Later on in Philippians, Paul's gonna talk about all the accolades and all the achievements he has had, and he's saying none of that matters at all compared to this one thing. And this is why he has joy, because he's set everything else to be uh, below this ultimate calling and this ultimate allegiance to Jesus. And then he writes, who's he writing to? All God's holy people. All God's holy people. Does that sound like you? <laughs> you know, um, the first thing in the word all is so important. All is all. No one's left out. It's written to everyone from the smallest to the biggest to the lowest to the highest of these group of people who have self-selected themselves to step into this. It's to all of them. All of them. No one's missed out from this blessing this ability to experience joy. What about the holy thing? Does that freak you out? I'm not holy. Well, you know, the word is saints. The word means saints. It's often translated that way as well. And that's unhelpful. You know, holy and saint, they're, they're kind of words that we don't identify with much because if you know yourself, you think, I'm not much of a saint. And it's used in ways like that saying, she's such a saint. Or, he's no saint. Or, to flip the genders, you know, he's such a saint, ha, she's no saint. Um, but here's the thing, it's not us who achieve that, it's, it's a designation given by God. Holy is a designation given by God. It simply means that you're his now. You're set apart, you're his. He's taken you from this world and he has brought you into his kingdom all by his own work. And you're still a sinner, too. Doesn't disqualify. Every sinner is a saint. Pardon me, every saint is still a sinner. 
but you're claimed and you're welcomed. And you never were good enough, you never will be good enough, but it's not down to you to make that decision because he welcomes you in. All God's holy people, those called into this kingdom, are called to pay attention now. He's saying, all God's people, pay attention to this. You see the circumstances that you're in, you're finding this trouble, pay attention, all of you. And the next one he says, who are in Christ and in Philippi. They actually says at Philippi in the NIV. But the word is exactly the same. In Christ, in Philippi. How do we get joy from this? Well, I made a little diagram to show, because I love diagrams, and I'm better at those than graphs. Is this a Venn diagram? So this is the whole point. Like They're in Christ, but they're also in Philippi. In Christ, in Philippi. Philippi. I don't know if you know this, but I'm an alien. Did you know that? I'm an alien. Um, actually, not that kind of alien, so don't go snooping around waiting for me to pull my like, skin mask off and it'll be like this horrible. Everyone see V? Ugh, ugh. But no, I, I am an alien. Though. I'm a permanent resident alien in the United States of America. I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom, actually. Um, and unfortunately, I'm, not, I'm unable to be a dual citizen. I cannot have dual full citizenship of both the United States and Britain. And I always joke that the reason is because both countries think so highly of themselves that they could not imagine that you, one would not want to choose their esteemed country as their primary citizenship, right? But that's kind of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about dual citizenship. And both are extremely important, but one takes priority. They are in Christ. That is the priority. But they're also in Philippi, and that is important. And to have experience of joy, they must be fully present in both places. Be part of Philippi, he's telling them, but always under the umbrella of you're in Christ. But be planted firmly in this place. So what about us? The same thing in Christ, where you are. This is definitely something that can bring us joy. You're, you should be engaging in your community. Who went to the LA County Fair? Like, I didn't go, but was it fun? Did, yeah? Did Jesus go with you? Did you take Jesus to the LA County Fair? Right, that's that awareness to say like, wherever I go, I'm, I'm engaging in my community, I'm here, I'm present, I'm serving, but I'm doing it in Christ's name and Christ is with me. And it's an adventure. I'm in Christ and I'm in my place. The next thing he says is, is there's two amazing words that he says grace and peace to you. And that's often something that religious people do like, grace and peace to you, you know? Like it's some kind of liturgy only. It's only two little words. They seem so tiny. But in these words is really the greatest place of joy that we could ever have. In these words, what does grace mean? Anyone want to hazard a guess or say, what does grace mean to you? Unmerited favor. What was that one? Yeah, unmerited favor is what people kind of say. Uh, and it really means, anyone ever heard this one, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, that is a little acronym, right? It basically means that in reality, now, because of Jesus, every opportunity of freedom and joy and hope and life has been opened up to you completely. Completely. And there's nothing more that can stand between you 
and God's plan for your life on into eternity. It doesn't feel like that sometimes. You feel rooted, but this tiny little word grace and therefore peace, there's peace. You know, the world needs peace so badly. But if we realize that all the stuff that causes us to be at war with each other is as nothing compared to the greatness of knowing our God and and knowing his love for us. We don't need to fight for things anymore. We don't need to grab what's mine. We're free to love one another because we've been given this peace with God and peace with one another that we are called to live into. You know, there's there's this one pinnacle thing here that, that we could also skip across, but he doesn't want his friends to miss this, so he uses repetition. You notice what's repeated in this passage? We've got it highlighted. Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really the the core of it all. It's actually the core of the letter to the Philippians. The centerpiece of this letter is a place where Paul basically describes the gospel and what Jesus has done and everything else flows from this. This is, the, this is the place, this is the fine point of joy. This is the place where we will find it. And if we miss it, if we have community uh, and we have all these other things, but we don't have Jesus, it will just be more of the same, more of the same attempts to get through the day. But in Jesus, we find a joy that is supremely uh, fit for ourselves as individuals and ourselves as a group. And that's really what we're going to be finding out this week. I'm not, I can't uh, explain it all to you. The whole, the whole point of this letter is our subtitle is all for Jesus. So I just say, as we start this series, like enter into it with seriousness. If you want to see your life transform from where it currently is, this is a wonderful opportunity to do so. Because we are hoping that we will meet Jesus every single week as we sit together and as we gather together in small groups. And we will see genuine transformation. That's what I'm praying for. That we would experience a joyfulness, like turning up that volume knob because we are encountering Jesus uh, with one another. Does that sound like a cool plan? And the thing is, it's not up to us to do that. We, we welcome Christ to come speak to us. We open our hearts and we show up. And as he does so, we, we notice something changing within ourselves. I'd have to say, we have a couple of devotionals as well. If you want to really dig in deep, out there on that shelf in the, in the hall out there, we have two devotional books that you can go through Philippians. You have to buy a copy, you can't take it. But we have two, uh, two copies that you can look at. Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a song of joy and ask ask yourself today do you have joy? do you feel joyful today? where does that joy come from? you know I always think like people's temperament some people uh are naturally joyful. They think, well, I'm good, I'm fine, right? Just imagine how much more joyful you would be in the world if you just enter into this. And some people, um, it's obvious that they need some joy. So if you know a person like that, just encourage them to come every week. Um, I'm gonna invite some people up on the platform now because this is a really integral part of what we're trying to do this season. 
And it's the small group leaders and hosts. So if you're leading a small group or you're hosting a small group this season, please come up onto the platform. Wow, look at that. So just introduce yourselves by name so we know who you are. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Tracy. Woo! Karen. <laughs> Peter. Linda. Nancy. Debbie. Mike. Linda. Keith. Sonia. Paul. Awesome. So I'd just like to say that like, you guys have blessed my heart so much by stepping up to do this. Because um, like, there's moments that are going to be coming in the next eight weeks. It's an eight-week series of small groups. That's all. That's what you're committing to, eight weeks. There's going to be moments in those groups where you guys meet Jesus. And the people that are sitting in your living room, sipping a cup of tea or whatever, are going to meet Jesus. And like, this is, this is the weft and the weave of what we're about in this church. Uh, and so I'm just so grateful that you guys, I know this is not easy, you have, you've taken that step of sacrifice to say every week for eight weeks we'll open our home up, we'll put the kettle on, we'll get some, you know, mixed nuts, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> we are mixed nuts. And, and you're going to welcome people into your home. Uh, and that's a big step. Like, it's not something to take lightly because you could just continue doing what you normally do with that evening and it would be yours. Cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> oh, you have to clean the bathroom now, right? Because people are coming. So the response, I hope, is that people here would say, I'm going to go and show up to one of these groups because I want to meet Jesus. And I can tell you, uh, the only reason I'm standing on this platform at all is because I always showed up. I was stupid enough to believe the first pastor that said to me, Grant, if you want to grow and find out what God has for your life, come participate, sign up, serve, read your Bible and pray. And, and, but mainly just be with people because you can learn something from people and you will meet Jesus in those moments. So that's the offer. No one's ever going to coerce you. We will not be checking boxes saying, well, you don't go to a small group. We'll love you all the same. But it's our choice to step into something nourishing and enriching to really come to know who Christ is. So I'm going to pray for this season of eight weeks for these folks and whoever joins a small group um, we're going to pray that remarkable things would happen. God's, I think God sometimes wonders why we don't ask for more. He's like, all authority has been given to me on the earth and in heaven, so ask. Amen. And we, we talked about prayer. Ask in line with what the kingdom is about, and you will have what you ask for. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for these people who, who have heard the, answered the call to open their homes, to exercise that such an essential part of our faith, which is hospitality. And I know they don't feel capable. They don't feel smart. They don't feel that they are, they are you know, going to have all the answers. But they've just simply said yes uh, to this opportunity. Uh, and, and we know that means they've said yes to you. So Lord, I just pray that their homes will be places of um, hospitality and peace and grace. I pray their homes will be places of connection and learning. That their homes will be places where people can genuinely uh, meet right where they are, that they can weep together, that they can laugh together. I pray as they journey through your word together, uh, they feel free to be exactly who they are uh, in a spirit of acceptance, welcome, and love. And Lord, I just pray most of all, Father, that you would grow us all up 
in your image, to be more like the people that you call us to be. This is your work, Lord. Our work is simply to show up and to participate. Uh, so, Lord, just be with us for the next eight weeks. Do amazing things, we pray. Change our lives and just let that flow out from this place and from our homes into our neighborhoods that people would see uh, that you have come and that we can have joy um, and hope. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.